In the world of athletics, uh, you have to keep your eyes on the finish line. If your eyes wander from the finish line, so I'm told, if you're a runner, uh, you lose your pace a bit. You lose your straight line. You lose your direction. And you may well lose the race. Eyes on the finish line. Some of you probably have done a bit of running. I expect some of you have done a 5K, a park run perhaps, or um, something uh, better than that. I once did a half marathon in 2016. I ran it very badly. Um, uh, It was the Reading Half Marathon. Reading is actually quite a nice place, as it turns out. It was quite nice to run around Reading. You know, the River Thames was lovely. The only trouble was, as you got to the end of this half marathon, that the journey took you down the A33 that was closed for the race, and was just a straight line, and it was just very boring. The last two miles was just this straight line. I remember running the, the Reading Half Marathon, and as you got on the A33, there were these lovely people who said, keep going, you're nearly there. And I remember thinking, you have no idea. <laughs> I can't see the Medeshki Stadium, where the finish line is. I can't see it. How on earth am I going to make it when I can't even see it? Um, they thought they were being encouraged. They thought they were being encouraging. I thought, you must be having a laugh that I'm nearly there. Um, there we go. It's difficult, isn't it, to keep your eyes on the prize, to keep your eyes on the finish line when you can't see it. That's hard, isn't it? I'm sure you found that in, in your experience. Well, here we are in uh, the second letter to the church in Corinth. And uh, the Apostle Paul has been commending his view of Christian life and Christian ministry. Why? Well, in short, there's been some people in town um, who who have been proclaiming a kind of glitzy, problem-free Christianity. A Christianity about performance and power and success. A Christianity that's all about heaven on earth, as it were. Heaven now. And the trouble is that kind of Christianity that says that you can have a perfect life now, as it were. Well, it is actually quite attractive, isn't it? It is quite, quite distracting. I mean, who would want to wait for heaven if you really could have it now? But Paul's been telling this church, he's been saying, no, 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 keep your eyes ahead. God's not about heaven now. He's about comfort and strengthening in affliction, in a short time of affliction and weakness now. We're in a time of weakness now so that God might show his surpassing power. The Christian life will look quite weak. But it's so that God's work can be seen. So keep going in that. God's going to make a new creation. He's reconciling people to himself through the cross. And he's forgiving sins and he's pouring out his spirit. And one day he will judge the world and and completely make it new. So so live for that. Live for that unseen reality. The trouble for us, I guess, is that thought, isn't it? That we can't see it. We can't see it. It's hard to live for it when we can't see it. Well, here uh, in 2 Corinthians, end of chapter 4 and uh, chapter 5 there, we're going to see Paul tell us to keep looking to the unseen future. Keep looking to it. He says we don't lose heart. In fact, more than that, we are of good courage. You see that in verse uh, verse 6. Starts the passage with we do not lose heart. Verse 6, we are of good courage. Paul says, even though I can't see the future, can't see the unseen reality, I'm excited about it. I'm full of anticipation. 
My heart is full. Christian, keep looking ahead to what is unseen. That's going to be the message for us today. Christian, keep looking ahead to what is unseen. Why? Three things for us today. Three things. Point number one, why keep looking to a future that's unseen? Well, thing number one is because what we see now is passing. What we see now is passing. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 16. The apostle says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul says, look, as, as, as Christians and as human beings, we are wasting away. He uses the word our there. Our outer self is wasting away. It almost, it almost makes you think about him and his mission team to the Corinthians. Maybe they feel like, uh, like a little mission army almost in the valley. And it's almost like a Lord of the Rings scene where there are these mega armies on the mountain and they're just wasting away. It's like, oh, we can't do this. We're wasting away. But it's more than that, isn't it? They feel very frail. They're wasting away in a physical sense too, in a bodily sense. Wasting away. This is an image here, isn't it, of rust and decay. Leave a spade in the garden or a bike in the garden. Slowly but surely it rusts. Leave it long enough and it, it, it'll crumble away completely, won't it? Paul feels like he is rusting away. Perhaps you feel like that physically this morning. Uh, The image, I guess, is also like that image of clothes, you know, those hard-worn clothes that you've hung up in the wardrobe and left them there for a bit, and little do you know they've become moth-eaten. And soon enough, they're threadbare, tattered, thin, full of holes, useless rags on the floor. We are wasting away, says Paul, but we do not lose heart. Our bodies are aging, our bodies are failing. I mean, you can do some Zumba, Uh, you know, you can use a bit of cover-up, makeup, and so on. But nothing can stop the fact that we are decaying and rusting and wasting. But Paul says, that fact should make you look to the unseen reality, the unseen future. What you see now is passing away. But that's not all that's going on. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. So if our outer self is like it's rusting, Paul says for the Christian, it's like their inner self is anti-rusting. For the Christian inside is being renewed. The Christian inside is being beautified. While on the outside, you might feel weaker than ever. More disheveled than ever. On the inside, a Christian is more golden every day than they ever were before. You see, Christians aren't supposed to look at what's outside. They're supposed to look at what is the unseen reality. There's a thought here for us on ageing, isn't there? You look at Cosmopolitan magazine or Elle magazine, look at Instagram, or um, look at those TV perfume adverts. They tell us young is beautiful, don't they? Well, actually, the Bible tells us something very different, doesn't it? For the Christian... Growing and knowing the Lord Jesus more and more and more. Well, you're being renewed. You're being fitted for eternity, for eternal beauty and bliss. Friends, I think that means for us that we don't need to despise the rusting. 
Of course, we will find it frustrating when our bodies fail. Of course, we will. But the outside rust just reminds us that there's a reversal going on inside. Outside rusting, inside anti-rust. Gold, if you will. Let's not think that if we're old, that we should just hang up our boots and retire from the Christian life, as it were. No, the further on we are in the Christian life, the more the Lord Jesus has been at work in us. There's, there's more to show, there's more to witness to, more to speak of, even if our energy is less. Christian, look at what is unseen ahead. Look at what the Lord is doing. What you see now is passing. What you see is passing. So look to what's unseen. There's more. Look at verse 17 and 18. Paul says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I'm sure you've been for a walk in the countryside. And maybe you've come back and you've noticed on your your arm or maybe on your ankles or something, you've had a little nick, a little scratch uh, on your arm, like you've you've brushed up against a bramble or something. Um, It was so light, you didn't even feel it. It was so momentary. You didn't even notice it. Well, the apostle says that's this world's pressure. That's this world's struggle and affliction, this world's suffering. It's there, but it's gone in a moment. Like, like, a, like a, a shadow from a cloud on a hot, sunny day. You, you notice you're under a cloud for a minute, and then it's gone. It's small, it's short, it's light. And Paul says, this day, This life now, that's what it's like, short, momentary. And it's a preparing time, a preparing time for what's to come, an eternal way of glory. One day, the cloud coverage will be gone forever. And what is ahead is endless days of glory. So as much as our affliction presently is light, well, what's to come is weighty, says, says Paul. Weighty beyond comparison. Don't even make a comparison about what's ahead. It's like Paul's saying to the preacher, saying to me, Ollie, don't even bother to try and illustrate this one. What's ahead is unimaginably massive. Glory, brilliance, lights, trumpets, joy, happiness, blessing, wonder, everything in this world, the glory of God and more beside, barely scratching the surface of the unseen future. This world is passing. What is seen as it is will not last forever. We don't make heaven here. Look to what is unseen. I think verse 18, it says, as we look to what is unseen. I think that's better a so, really. So we look to what is unseen. Even when times are hard, even when the Christian life is difficult, we we keep going because this world is passing as it is. There's a famous uh, missionary and cricket player called C.T. Studd, and he wrote a poem. I'll recite a bit of that poem for you now. Only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life. It will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
when this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The point here is this world is passing. And in store is heavenly reward. An eternal weight of glory. Think what joy it will be to, to share that day with those who led us to Christ. Think of what joy there will be on others' faces as, as they speak of, of how they were led to Christ by us or how our witness affected them. Think of the weight and the joy of sharing in that together, knowing how it came through struggle and affliction. But God was at work and he used it all. This time now, preparation for an eternal weight of glory. So look to the unseen. This world is passing and another is coming. More glorious and more lasting. This, this time now, in Paul's words here, is a time of preparation. Um, imagine you um, entered one of those competitions on the telly. Um, you know the kind, phone this number, answer this question, and you'll win a holiday to Fiji. Well, imagine... You've done such a thing, and the phone rings. You've won the trip to Fiji. The taxi will be there in half an hour. Now, what do you do? You think, oh, well, you better put the kettle on then, I suppose. Put the feet up. No, you don't put your feet up, do you? <laughs> you don't put the kettle on. You get packing. You get preparing. You rummage around for the extra swimming cosy. You lean at the back of that cupboard where you know you're sure it's fallen down the back there. And you get your Hawaiian shorts and you get your sun hat and you pack everything and you prepare and you yell to your neighbours, hey, it's a holiday for 10, you better come too. Get ready, get packing. And you nag everyone and you just throw it together. Come on, let's go, let's get prepared. We're going to Fiji. Half an hour. This world is passing. Preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Don't put the kettle on, friends. That's the perspective we need, isn't it? This world, this time is a moment of preparation. I wonder how you wake up in the morning. Are you thinking, right, kettle on? How can I prepare for eternity? What might that mean for how I spend my days and my time? How I enjoyed my friendships if I understood that today is a day of preparation. This time is passing and another is coming. It's not really comfortable, friends, to be comfortable now. There's wasting, there's affliction, but it's brief. Something far bigger is coming. Look to what is unseen. Look to what is unseen. Look to what is unseen, number one, because what we see now is passing. But look to what is unseen, number two, because what is to come is more permanent. What is to come is more permanent. This is chapter 5 and verses 1 to 5. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus, the Bible tells us that we are going to get new bodies. New physical bodies. Wow. The present body, according to this passage, is more akin to a tent. And what is to come is a proper building. So Paul says, look to what is unseen, because what's to come is more permanent. Look at verse 5. 
we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, our earthly body, is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Your body now, your your home now, (laughs) as it were, is a tent. It's like a tent. Now, tents are fragile, aren't, aren't they? I'm sure you've had lovely holidays in tents. Um, I'm sure some of us have had fairly miserable holidays in tents as well. Um, some people spend only a short period of time in a tent at a music festival and then abandon them completely. Uh, my brother once went wild camping and left his camp to go and collect something and found that his tent had been entirely packed up and removed by someone completely. Tents are fragile and they can vanish. That was a scare for him. Ended that trip pretty quick. Some of us like tents. And some of us, I don't think, would ever even bother attempting a holiday in a tent. Well, Paul says, our earthly home is like a tent. So even if it's destroyed, well, something more permanent is coming. Not a fragile human construction, not something made by human hands, something eternal in the heavens, an eternal resurrection body. So we look to what is unseen, a new body coming. And Paul says we groan for that. In fact, he says we groan for it twice so that we'd understand this. We groan for our new bodies with a sense of longing in verse 2, he says. We groan for that new body. We want it desperately. And there's a bit of an aside in verse 3 that seems a bit odd. He says we want the new body. Um... So long as that wouldn't make us feel sort of naked um, in verse 3. I think what he's saying there is, (laughs) I think he's refuting some people who say that bodies aren't good. That bodies don't have a place in in eternity. And it's like, no, I want a body because a body isn't going to make me naked. A body isn't going to make me unfit for the new world. It's actually what I need. He's saying, no, no, I don't go for that. (laughs) The new world to come is very physical. I need a new resurrection body for it. Having a body won't make me inappropriately dressed. It'll have me fit for what's to come. Our bodies aren't bad in themselves. It's just they need swallowing up with a new body. We need, as it were, to put on our resurrection body overcoat. And so Paul says again, we look forward to what's unseen. We groan. Look at verse 4, groaning again. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed. You don't want to not have a house. You don't want to not have a body, right? Not that we'd be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life, by life. He wants that permanent building, the resurrection body. Our bodies here are tents. They are not buildings. And you know that. We know in a tent you groan. You get fed up of putting your wellies on to go to the loo. You get fed up of everything always being wet and not being able to get anything clean, fed up of cooking cooking tinned food on the hob, struggling with electricity, being woken up at 5am by the sun. (laughs) In a tent you groan. In these bodies we groan. Because we want the new bodies. We long, friends, to go to our true home, don't we? Live in a tent for a bit and you want to go to your true home. And Paul says it's coming. Something more permanent is coming. And Jesus' resurrection proves it, and the sending of the Spirit proves it. Look at verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Don't believe it? Well, God says you've got the Holy Spirit. 
It's like a deposit. It's almost like you've exchanged contracts. You are moving house. You are leaving the tent behind. And something more permanent is coming. You're just waiting for completion day, as it were. It's coming. Something more permanent is coming. What does that mean for us then? Well, what kind of churches will we want to be if we see this life and this body as just a tent, as it were? Well, I guess it means that we'll, we'll want to be relevant to our culture, won't we? But we won't be too worried about being super savvy, super culturally savvy. Because we're not being at home here, are we? This is just a tent, our bodies in this world. It might affect how we think about um, how we present ourselves. Um, it might change how we, how we think about our, our makeup, maybe, and our, our stylish clothes and our designer beards, maybe. Um, you know, dressing ourselves up, yeah, that's, that's nice to be presentable, isn't it? But um, going for that too much, well, it's, in this illustration, it's just putting tassels on a tent, really, isn't it, in a way? It's like trying to glamp in the world when it's still just a tent, isn't it? It's not our home. This body passing and a more permanent one to come will also change, I think, how we feel about illness and discomfort, won't it? I mean, if I know my body is passing and something more permanent is coming, and it's just like a tent. Well, tents have life cycles. Clothes have life cycles. They wear out. I don't expect them to last forever. So how will I pray in the light of illness and so on? Well, God heals, and I can pray that God would heal, of course. And that's not a bad thing to pray. But actually, it might make me want to pray other things as well, mightn't it? might not it? might make me want to pray bigger things. Because actually, I don't want this body to last forever. I want the resurrection body and the unseen reality to come. It might change how we think about our care for the poor as well, I suspect, and our social action. Yes, we want to help those who are broken and vulnerable. Of course we do. But we don't want to leave aside this glorious hope, do we? We want both of these things together. A food parcel, yes. But a new body? Fit for eternity? Oh, yes, please, too. <laughs> Maybe you think, Ollie, you're just raining on our parade here, being a bit of a Puritan. You're, you're spoiling the fun here, Ollie, aren't you? Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe. But if it seems like I'm raining on the parade today, well, I think that's because as I've read this passage, I've been convinced that this present life, this present parade, just pales into significance, insignificance against what is to come. What is now is passing. What is to come is more permanent. So look to what is unseen. Don't lose heart. Thing number three this morning to encourage us to look to what is unseen is this. Point number three, what you've heard is what matters. What you've heard is what matters. This is in verses six to ten. What you've heard is what matters most. Uh, Paul, in these last few verses, he, he looks to the future. And as he looks to the future, a sort of tension emerges for him. He realizes as he looks to the future, he realizes in the future, I'm going to be in a resurrection body. I'm going to be in a physical body with the Lord Jesus who also has a resurrection body. And then it dawns on him, the future is there, but I'm away from that now. I wish I was there. You know, he could be so fixated on the unseen hope that he kind of loses it, <laughs> loses his strength in, in the present. Now, he doesn't do that. Look at 
Look at chapter 5 and verses 6 and 7. He says, so we are always of good courage, for we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. So he can see the future. He can see I'm away from the Lord physically at the moment. But he says, but I live by faith and not by sight. I I can't see my resurrection body. I can't see it now, but I don't let that get me down because I live by faith. That's what Christians do. We live by what Jesus has told us. We live by the promises of God. Christians have never been told to live by sight alone. We come to live on the basis of what the Lord Jesus has taught us and what he's shown in himself. He could be frustrated, but he sees that the Lord has given him categories to understand his time at the moment. He says, look, at the moment, I'm away from home. At the moment, it's like I'm on away assignment. But one day, I'll be going home. There will be no more away assignment. So, verse 8, yes, we're of good courage. Oh, we'd, we'd rather be away from the body and at home of the Lord. But whether we're at at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. It's very clear to Paul, he'd rather be with Jesus, but he knows that Jesus has set him on this away assignment for the moment. So whether he's home or away, he'll just live to please Jesus. He'll do that no matter what. Now there's um, some odd language in verse 8. You might have noticed the odd language in verse 8. Um, Paul says in verse 8, being, he speaks about being away from the body and at home with the Lord. Um, and you might think, Ollie, that's weird. Didn't you just tell us the future was this new physical body? How, how's Paul going to be away from the body? Seems really weird, doesn't it? Well, it's worth saying that, that, that what, what we see here, I think, is a hugely comforting thought. Here, here Paul talks about, as it were, a time between the now and the new creation. So what happens if a believer dies today? Well, Paul says they are with the Lord. They're away from the body, but they're at home with the Lord. And one day when the Lord returns, they'll be clothed. We'll all be clothed. And I think that's a hugely encouraging thought, actually. How do I cope when I I lose a dear brother and sister? What's happened to them? What do I think? They're with the Lord. I know that. And one day they'll be clothed with a resurrection body, as, as we all will be. That's, that's wonderful, isn't it? When a, friend, when a Christian friend dies, they, they're with the Lord. They know more life and love and joy and bliss than they've ever known before. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm believing what Jesus told me, that he'd never leave us or forsake us ever. We live by what we've heard. We live by what we've been taught. We don't live by what seems impressive now. We live by faith. And we live in the light of what the Lord Jesus has taught us about what's to come. So here is good courage and comfort for us. Whether the Lord leaves us here on a way assignment for a bit longer, or whether he takes us home, what do we live for? We live to please the Lord. And Paul doesn't mean here that we live to earn our way with God's um, No, we're loved by a father who's given his son for us. We can't make him love us anymore. It doesn't mean we earn our way with it, but we can please the Lord. We can live in such a way that honours him. And surely that begins by trusting him in the here and now. 
walking by faith, even in the weakness, even in the struggle. Not trying to bring heaven here, but waiting for the Lord Jesus to take us there. We live by faith. Look at verse 9 and 10. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. The Bible is, is clear that in the end, the Lord will judge the world. He'll, he'll make the world right again. And if we've trusted in Jesus, then we're saved. We're rescued completely. But the Bible does also speak of, of another judgment, as it were, of uh, another sense of reward. There's a sense in which the, the first judgment is about, have you trusted Jesus? But there's another judgment that says, well, what did you do? You trusted Jesus, yes, but then what happened? How did you live your life based on it? Did you really love him and enjoy him and, and, and make the most of it? And so there's a sense in which there's this second judgment where we can enjoy a great reward. So that's something that will make us live for an unseen reality, isn't it? The Lord has said there is a day of judgment coming. We want to live in the light of it. Lord, I'm here. What would you have me do? How can I serve you today? Because in, in how I respond, I'm laying up treasure in heaven, aren't I? In how I respond, I'll please the Lord. And that'll be great reward. We live by faith in the promises of God, grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. We keep our eyes on what is unseen because what we've heard matters most. As Christians, we live by faith. We live to please God no matter what. We know his promises. He's not leaving us. We know he's coming again to judge the world. We live by faith. We live by what we've heard, not by what we see. And so we keep our eyes on what is unseen, what the Lord Jesus has promised us. In athletics, to win, you must keep looking forward. For the Christian, for us to keep going in the Christian life, it's no different. We keep looking forward. We must keep looking forward to the unseen reality. But what we see now is passing. Short, momentary. Soon be gone. And what's to come is more permanent. And what we've heard matters most. We live to please the Lord and enjoy reward in his presence. The reward of him, frankly. And we live for those new indestructible bodies to come. I think C.S. Lewis was right, wasn't he? Some of you know C.S. Lewis. Uh, here's something he, he said, the author of the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Speaking of human beings, he said this, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are, truth be told, far too easily pleased, aren't we? Because we can't imagine the unseen reality. But we've heard of it today, haven't we? So here is encouragement. Look to the unseen future. Invest your life for the unseen future. That's the encouragement for us as believers today. Keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes looking ahead. Not long now. Keep going. You're nearly there.
Shall we pray? So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our Father in heaven, we I want to confess before you this morning how often we are so easily pleased in this world. But Father, thank you for the encouragement to make that unseen future to come part of the focus of all our, our lives. And Father, we ask uh, this morning that that would come to be definitive for us, that we would be so heavenly minded that we would be of great earthly good. We ask that that eternity would frame our every day. It's coming soon. And we long for the day. We groan for it. Help us live in the light of it, we pray. In Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen.